Going to text messages now. We're going to um, look at this one coming through from uh, Christopher. He says, thanks for promoting the Bible Expo we had in Warrnambool. Mm. Now, my understanding is that the Bible Expo is something that travels around from place to place, and so I'm just going to mention this because uh, if it turns up in your area, definitely go along. I think you would have loved it, he says. I took a couple of videos. Um, he says it was well done with explanations of early recording techniques all the way through to electronic Bibles. Um, so, yeah, that sounds like if the Bible Expo ever comes your way, definitely take the opportunity mm. to head over there and check it out. Okay, we've got another text message here. Let me go to that. I listen to ACL, Australian Christian Lobby, uh, Mark on a daily basis also. Excellent Christian speaker. As for the day of rest, history will attest that the whole world has basically worshipped on two days. This is kind of true. Mm. The Sabbath or on Sunday, the sun's day, that is. Uh, the Muslims keep Friday from the 6th century, and the reason they keep Friday is because Friday was the market day in Mecca, and since everyone was there already, it became their worship day. Uh, while I agree with worship should be according to your conscience, worship is connected to religion, and all religions in the Bible, uh, outside of Islam, of course, of course, uh, and the Bible kept only Saturday or Sunday, Sabbath or Sunday. God, God would like the whole world to keep his Sabbath, but he will not force you. All other days are irrelevant in these last days. The issue will be whose day will you worship? God's or the one invented by the Roman Catholic Church? Mm. And that's the, that's the simple... Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, no, it wasn't invented by... It was adopted by the Roman Catholic Church from paganism. Mm. And, you know, my kind of deal on this is really quite simple. Uh, should we just, you know, adapt ourselves accept something that uh, comes to us from paganism and is found nowhere in Scripture, or mm. should we worship God? You know, an expression of true love doesn't question, mm. just does. And should we question God when he says, remember the Sabbath day, the seventh day to keep it holy? Why would we question God in relationship to that? Why would we come along and say, yeah, nah, thanks, God, but we'll, we'll do it on this day over here because we think it's a better idea? Mm. God had a very good reason for choosing the seventh day as opposed to, you know, the honourable day of the sun. And uh, God was trying to create a contrast between those two days. And, you know, one is a symbol of creation. The seventh day is a symbol of creation. And, you know, creation is the one thing, I guess, that has been more forgotten in Christianity than anything else. Mm. And so, yeah. Good text. The reality is, you know, my mind just goes to Acts chapter 3, as we ought to obey God God rather than man. man. Yes, and and as a follower of God, should we be questioning what God says and changing it to our own convenience? No, that's that's, that's salvation by works. Mm. That's the very definition of salvation by works. Like, I've studied with, like, non-Sabbath-keeping Christians on this topic before. Like, why is it that Sunday came in? And, like, in them giving me their perspective. Yes. And the most honest and historical answer I've ever received is that it was given by the Romans, not only the Catholic church, but by like the political Roman empire. Very much so. Um, to, to differentiate Christians from Jews because Jews mm-hmm. were persecuted. Christians were persecuted up until the point where they weren't persecuted. And so they could separate them. They gave them a different day. Yeah. And so th- and it's like, like if you, if you, if you come across to this particular day, which is a, a pagan day, then you will look much more like pagans than like Jews who we all hate right now because they have raised one of the worst rebellions against Rome ever. Mm. 
And so it just ultimately circles back to like, okay, well, what was the purpose of giving them that date to obey men? Yes. Like not to obey God. That's right. Like, and so it's like, let's, let's just obey God. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Uh, of course, coming up next week, Wednesday next week, it's not far away now, the N.Digital is going to come to you with the next uh, edition of the N.Digital, and this one is called The Ti- the End of Time. Mm. The End of Time. So what happens at the end of time? What are the issues at the end of time? That'll be 8 o'clock in the evening. You'll find it here on Faith FM, but you will also find it on the N.Digital where you can watch it and interact with it, uh, Facebook and YouTube as well. It's live. You can send your questions through and you will be uh, blessed by the end.digital, the time of the end. The end of mm. time. The end of time. The end of time. Yes. Man, I'm going to be I'm gonna be up in the live chat because there's going to be a live chat going the whole time. going to be a live chat the oh, whole time. Oh, man, I'm going to be up in the live chat. Yeah, you're going to be, you're going to be throwing want, through just like gnarly questions. I just want I top it. fan status. Like I just <laughs> want to be legit. <laughs> so, yeah, God, we all know so what's going to go on here. Mm. Let's go to our Bible study. We've been working through Numbers chapter... Oh, are we going back? The book of Numbers. We've got a whole week on the book of Numbers. Let's go. Best ever. Mm. So we, we got to the end of 13 yesterday. Yes. So we're going to 14 today. We are in Numbers chapter 14, verse 11 and 12 is where we're going to start. But before we go there, we need to talk about something we talked about a couple of days ago because this story kind of begins by saying Moses was the meekest man on earth. Mm. And meek is a word that nobody knows the meaning of these days. Mm. And so we need to remind our listeners what the actual definition is because meek sounds like weak. Okay? Mm. Those two words sound very similar to each other and we think because they sound similar and we don't use the word meek anymore, we relate the two together whereas they have no relationship to each other whatsoever at all. Mm. And then people say, oh, meek is humility. No, which is not. No, I actually it's close, but it's not. So after we spoke on radio, I went. I was spending some time with my friends, and I asked them, "Hey, what do you guys think meek means?" And they brought up the example of Moses. Like Moses was the meekest man on the earth, and that's. Yes, and and yes, then I was like, famous. I was like, okay, wh- why was he meek? And their answer to that question was, "Oh, Moses was meek because he had a speech impediment, and so that kept him meek." And I was like, "No, that kept him humble." humble. But meek, as we've been discussing, is a different thing. And this is where we see it comes out 11. That's right. Okay, so the first thing about meekness that you need to understand is that you can't be meek without being powerful. Mm. And you have to, and this is the weird thing because it sounds like weak. It's nothing to do, it's not even close to related. There's a connection with humility, for sure, Mm -hmm. but it's not humility. Uh you cannot be a meek person unless you are powerful, and the more power you have, the more meek you can be. Actually, check this out. Check this out, Lyle. So you know when Jesus goes through the Beatitudes? Yes. He's like, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Yes. He says, blessed are a lot of different people, you know, those who are uh-huh. mourning. He says, blessed are the meek for those who will, who will inherit the earth. I was always thinking, like, my perspective on that is like, oh, the, the meek, the weak, person who's terrible not terrible but like the the weak person who like can't do anything they'll inherit the earth and i was like does that make sense you're listening to faith fm positively different radio i I was just thinking in my head i'm like does that make sense that someone who is incapable 
of leading will become the leader. But the reality is, is just after considering like what meek actually means, it's like blessed are the meek for they will it inherit the leaders. It, it's the leaders who put God first. That's like right. It's the leaders who hold their power with restraint. Yes. That's who it's talking about. Yes. I was like, oh, and, and this is, as we're going to read in Numbers 14, like the most epic example of meekness. It is. It is because Moses was an incredibly important powerful mm. individual. He was somebody who had so much power that he was the leader of, you know, more than a million people. He was somebody who had so much mm. power that he was an intercessor between those people and God. He was a person who had, you know, who had so much power that if he wanted to and we're going to find it in this chapter could have been Abraham the second. Mm. God came to him and offered him that position. You mm. can be literally Abraham the second, the father of many nations. I will give this to you. This is what God says. And when Abraham says no, it shows that he has power, but he has that power under control. Mm. And that is what meekness is. Meekness is somebody who is able to control their power. Mm. They have Self-control. So meekness is actually more related to self-control than it is to humility. Mm. Interesting thoughts. All right, let's read Numbers chapter 14, verse 11 and 12. So this is actually where we got up to yesterday. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you into a great na- into a nation greater and mightier than they. Okay. Mm. All right. Somebody texted in to say that Moses did not have a speech impediment. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yes. Oh, did they cite any references for that? No. Because because it's said like from uh, Exodus chapter three and four when he's initially called by God that he says to God you know I'm slow of speech and slow in, slow in tongue yes and the point is not that he's dumb but he literally just can't speak like he has some kind of impediment or difficulty or something or is it is the Bible simply implying that he had been living outside of Egypt for forty years and forgotten the language no but that that's already he already brings that up like I can't even speak their language. And is that then just a simple example of a Hebrewism where the same thought is repeated twice? Mm, like it might be, but I, I would say I, I've heard very convincing. Um, I, you know what? I've heard very convincing arguments both ways. Okay. And and no, but and this is this is the point is that I wasn't the one saying that he had a speech impediment, even though I would be inclined to believe that he had some kind of thing hindering. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Him, uh, but it was yeah, it was my friends who brought that up. Like oh. Moses was meek because he had a problem speaking, yet he did God's job, and that kept him humble. And it's like, he did have a problem speaking. The Bible does say that. Yeah, but that's not what made him yes. meek. It was that he was actually the opposite, is that he had the potential to not be humble. He had the potential. He had the power. He, he had the power. Yes. But he kept it under control. And that's what we, well, we see here. Like God comes to him and says, like, I am sick of these people. I'm ready to disown them. You know, God gives to him the power to speak and water comes out of a rock. Mm. That's a lot of power that God has entrusted to him. Mm. He loses it there and loses his meekness for a moment and hits the, hits the rock with his staff mm. um, and you know receives punishment for that. Mm. Yeah. 
All right, interesting discussion. Uh, if you believe that Moses had a speech impediment, please send your references through. If you believe that he did not have a speech impediment, then also please send your references through. And let's see what our brains trust, mm, our mm, mm. listeners can dig up on this one today. Our number here is 0491064669. Let's see if we can get a conclusive answer to yeah, this question. Yeah, on this. All right, where are we up to? We numbers are numbers 11, 11 and, and, yes, keep going. 12. And, yeah, oh, we were essentially, we, no, we, we, do we, finish so we just read this, and, yeah, we come to the conclusion, like, God's just like, he's past judgment. Mm-hmm. He's past judgment on the people. Yep, and he's it's like, like, you're like, done. It's over. Yep. Okay, read for us verse 13. And then verse 13, but Moses objected. What will the Egyptians think when they hear about it? He asked the Lord. They Full, uh, they know full well the power you displayed in rescuing your people from Egypt. Now, if you destroy them, the Egyptians will send a report to the inhabitants of this land who have already heard that you live among your people. They know, Lord, that you have appeared to your people face to face and that your pillar of cloud hovers over them. They know that you go before them in the pillar of cloud day uh, by day and a pillar by fire, a uh, pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slaughter all these people with a single blow, the nations that have heard of your fame will say, the Lord was not able to bring them into the land he swore to give them, so he killed them in the wilderness. Please, Lord, prove that your power is as great as you claim. For you said, the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. But he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon their children, and the entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generations. In keeping with your magnificent, unfailing in love, please pardon the sins of this people, just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. So what is Moses' primary concern in this passage, do you think? Um, the reputation of God. Or is it the preservation of the rebellious people? Well, he makes a case for both. He does, doesn't he? He does. It, it, the initially, it's the reputation of God that the nations yes. around them will see that God wasn't able. That literally, what he says is like, God doesn't have the power to bring them into the land that He promised them. And that's an interesting spin mm. on this circumstance because you know I think the initial reaction that I would have if I was a Canaanite was, okay, they rebelled against their God, so their God destroyed them. Um, I'm not going to do anything against that God, and I hope that God doesn't come anywhere near us. Mm. That would be kind of where I... But Moses is like, no, 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 no. That's not how they're going to think. They're going to think that God decided he was too weak and he couldn't bring them into the promised land, so he just destroyed them in the wilderness because he couldn't provide for them forever. You know, been providing for them for a year or so and providing manna, but, you know, he was running out of the ability to be able to provide food and he uh, didn't have the power to, you know, bring them into the promised land, so he just destroyed them. Mm. And we've got to say as well, like, God God knows the heart. Yes. God has been providing everything for them in the wilderness. That's right. And again, like, you know, like Adam and Eve in the beginning, they've decided to cut themselves off. Yes. But in a situation that is so, like, so much more critical and dire, like, for their obedience, like, at this point, God needs obedient people because he's trying to lead them into the land that they will inhabit. And they, And despite God doing literally everything for them... And them not being ignorant of sin either, them knowing better. Like, and it's not that they sin and then, you know, ask for repentance. They willfully rebel and say, no, like, 
we don't want anything to do with God now. He's done us wrong, even though all God has done is bless them. And God is like, yeah, like, it's time. Like, he's just like, it's over. Like, what can I do? Like, these people are making an active choice. People often cite God's destruction in the Old Testament. They say, wow, what an inhumane God who just destroys. But it's like, what can God do for a people that he constantly sacrifices and gives for? With the only response being, God, we hate you. Like, you know, ah, it's so hard just to read these people. But then at the same time, it's like, man, that is us, bro. Like, it's, yeah, it's heavy. It is. It is. Mm. Okay, so, um, and, and, you know, when you kind of mm. put all that together there, what you see, do you think that, okay, so do you think that God, do you think that God knew that his reputation would be tarnished if he destroyed the people at this particular point? Well, I think as you brought up before, like, God know, knows everything. Yes. God, God understands, like, you know, what that what effect him destroying the people will have on the 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 social uh uh situation in the ancient world you uh-huh. know like yes. god fully understands like what it will look like politically this point forward how what he'll have to do through moses to get the nation started again like god knows all right so if god knows that this is going to tarnish his reputation and god is very very careful about keeping his reputation as being a reputation as a god of love and a god of mercy and a god of justice then why does God say this? I, I, I don't. I think He knows it's not going to tarnish His reputation. Like I think God knows, as we know, viewing the passage now, and I think as Moses is very reluctant to admit that, like the people deserve it. Like God, God understands. Like God knows that this very well could be an outcome that would be just as good as sparing them from all those perspectives. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, somebody else texts through here. don't have a name on this one. I, like a lot of people, was led to believe Sunday was the Sabbath. I now practice what the Bible says, and Friday when the sun goes down to Saturday when the sun goes down, mm. um, you are no less a Christian, though, unless you have read the Bible and know the true Sabbath. Then you are committed to keep the true separate. Actually, that was that was from Freco. So mm. yeah, well done, Freco. Yeah. Oh, essentially, like the point there is like kind of pointing to oh, like the ignorance. Um, yeah, a lot of people simply never heard of it before, never even stopped to think about it. But when you stop to think about it, the Bible says, "For you know, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters, and rested on the seventh day, and blessed mm. the Sabbath day." Mm. Um, wherefore, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Yes. That's the seventh day. And if you want to know which one it is, you, you simply go to the crucifixion weekend where Jesus was crucified on Friday, rested in the grave on the Sabbath, and was resurrected on Sunday. Everybody knows mm. which day Saturday is. It's never been lost to history. Mm. All right, so that's a uh, some, some um, interesting text there to consider. Mm. And maybe something you as a listener to consider, maybe you've not thought about this before, go and do some investigation. Mm. You won't find Sunday in the Bible anyway. You'll struggle too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, you will. You will actually find it mentioned in nine different places. Yeah, but at the same time... You won't find oh, any reference man. to it being a day of worship. A hundred percent. That was something that came 300 years after Jesus died. Uh-huh. Okay, Bruce also wanted to point out that first John 1... Sorry, that John 1, 9, um, we feel the disconnect our sin causes. We confess... God, oh, this this is First John one nine. Okay, mm. we feel the disconnect our sin causes. We confess God cleanses and forgives, reuniting the relationship. Mm. 
And, you know, as we look at this story of Moses and it becomes a story of intercession, mm. you've got a whole situation here where you've got a lot of people in massive rebellion who experience that forgiveness of mm. God. Let's read about it in uh, Numbers chapter 14, verse 20 to 23. Numbers chapter 14, 20 to 23, the Bible says, Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested, but as I surely live... Uh, and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and my miraculous signs I have performed uh, both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those people who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But, oh, I just want to read this part. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he has explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. This is a really interesting passage. This one fascinates me a lot. And, you know, God forgives the people of their sins. Mm. But that doesn't mean that the consequences go away. Forgiveness yep. and consequences are two different things. Mm. You know, when we are forgiven of something, we like to be uh, for the consequences to go as way well as well. So, for instance, if we do a crime and uh, we are going to go to jail for that crime and say it's in America and the US president is about to come to the end of his second term and we ended up on the short list to uh, receive a presidential pardon. Uh, we expect that we will be let out of jail once we are forgiven for that crime. Mm. But that's not how it is with God. With God, it is, God is, you know, the consequences are there. Mm. And I find it fascinating because in many ways, what God has to do at this particular point is create Israelites. And you might be wondering, what am I talking about when I say he's going to create Israelites? The people who came out of Egypt were semi-Israelites. Mm. They were part Egyptian. And the reason being is because for centuries they'd been living in Egypt and for a very long time they had been slaves in Egypt. They had ad adopted Egyptian religion and customs and culture to the point that when Moses was going to go back to Egypt, he said, who am I going to tell the Israelite leaders who you are? Mm. Who am I going to tell them who you are? And God says, well, tell them that you know, the great I am has sent you back, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm. Tell them that. Because they had forgotten who God was. And it's a little bit like, you know, when we, when we think about... Um, you know, here in Australia, for instance, and when uh, European immigration first started, the Europeans who came here were Europeans living in Australia. Yes. But then there was a generation that was born in Australia. Mm. And they were actual Australians mm. as much as anybody else because they were born here. They didn't know anything else. And God's like, okay, I'm going to wait until I have a generation that does not know anything else but being an Israelite. Mm. And those are the people that I'll bring into the promised land. All right. Oh, I've got a long text message here. Mm, somebody's done a long study on whether Moses... Ah, interesting. Had a speech impediment. Speech impediment. Let's, let's, <sighs> let's have a read through this one. 
And let's see if they've got a Bible verse for us. Some time ago I spent, I sent a full study on it. Before leaving Egypt, he was an orator, a general in the Egyptian army, next in line to be Pharaoh. Had the highest education of Egypt. Moses was the speaker for God. He represented God. He was to be as a God to his people. He had not spoken Egyptian for 40 years. Whoops. His slow of speech was simply that his Egyptian language was rusty. I used to speak four languages, and I only remember three, and two are pretty rusty. Anyone who doesn't practice his language would know that. Uh, the 40 years in the wilderness was to teach him meekness in the power of God. To think that God would select someone with a speech impediment to be his representative is not a great idea. And then he gives some references there. Cool. Fair enough point. Yep. <clears throat> Fair enough point. Uh, we appreciate your points. Um, of course, we love to hear from our listeners. Our number here in the studio is 0491-064-669. And uh, if you would like to share your thoughts, that's the number to call or to text mm. through. We've had some uh, great text messages that have come through this morning, and we always appreciate what you have. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And now we have come to Question of the Day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day is it's a two parter actually. Okay. I'll just read it out now. If you get to both parts We'll yeah. do them. If we don't, we'll do we'll finish them tomorrow. We'll finish them tomorrow. Okay. Sky wants to know if dinosaurs are a hoax of evolution or if Christian science also proves their their existence. And Margie wants to know. Uh, if it is possible for dinosaurs to have been as big as buildings. Okay, so let's start with uh, Sky's question right there. It's a great question. And uh, to be honest, I've never met a Christian uh, who is a scientist who doesn't believe in dinosaurs. It's a little bit hard not to believe in dinosaurs because we literally dig them up out of the ground. What are you going mm. to do? Deny what is coming out of the ground? Yeah. Uh, that's a bit of an impossibility. And so... And I know a lot of scientists who are Christians and who, you know, very strong defenders of the creation story and so forth. I've never met someone. I've never met somebody who does not believe in dinosaurs or who believes that they are a hoax. Now, there is every possibility that those people are out there because there's pretty much every belief that you can imagine is out there, but this would definitely be um, on the outskirts of creation theory, and it would be a very easy one to disprove. It's simply take them to you know somewhere here in Australia where you find dinosaurs and you can actually see them with your own eyes. What are you going to do? Mm. Deny that. And here's the important thing when it comes to creation versus evolution. Both creation and evolution use exactly the same evidence. Mm. Because evidence doesn't change. If you are a creationist or an evolutionist, the evidence is never going to change. The evidence is simply what you are digging out of the ground Mm. or are able to observe in other ways. And so the evidence doesn't change. What does change is the way that you interpret that evidence. Mm. Now, we need to remember that when when we are dealing with origins and origin theory, we are not dealing with empirical science. Mm. Science, empirical science is backed by all Christians across the board. Mm. Empirical science is what is observable, testable, and repeatable. That's empirical science and, 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 and empirical science. And empirical, empirical science has never, ever challenged the Bible. However, historical science is very different. Historical science is looking at the past and creating an interpretation of the evidence that we find in the past and, of course, 
that does challenge the Bible. But historical science is all about interpretation of evidence, and of course, a creationist will interpret, you know, the evidence of what they see one way, whereas a evolutionist will interpret that evidence in a very different way. Okay, so that was what was the first question? Read those questions for me again. Let yeah. Me see. So hey, the second to. question that we have here, Margie wants to know: Is it really possible to have dinosaurs as big as buildings? Okay, so I looked up uh, the size of some of the biggest dinosaurs, and I just want to say that. Dinosaurs are the coolest creatures that ever lived mm-hmm. on this earth, and I am looking forward to one day seeing them again, hopefully, um, in in whatever whatever way, whatever format. But Barasaurus was forty eight meters long Ooh. and weighed seventy three tons, one hundred and fifty seven feet for our American friends. It's like it's like eight times as big as the biggest crocodile. Oh, it's just, just enormous. Mm. Marapunisaurus. Well, he was only 40 metres long, but he weighed 132 tonnes. Wow. They'd leave quite some footprints in the swamp when they walked through. Mm. Uh, Patago Titan, uh, 37 metres long, 85 tonnes. They had a lot of um, imagination when they named this one Supersaurus, (laughs) 35 metres long. Uh, Then you've got... Argentinosaurus was also 35 metres long and weighed 110 tonnes. But then you have, you know, amongst the same family of dinosaurs, you've got the little ones, you know, because they're juveniles and and smaller ones, etc. Agnophytitis cromhalensis was 700 millimetres long. Just an itty little, itty bitty one who would be kind of cute and could be kind of a pet. And (laughs) Eurapter lunensis, which was only weighed two kilos. Okay. Yes. Is that all kinds of things? Uh, that was all among sauropods. So I'm just, you know, one mm. family right there, probably one dinosaur um, with different descriptions depending on where you found it. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.